0: This is Notoriously Episcopalian. My name is Kelly Hudlow. This is a podcast of sermons and musings all about the Christian faith and especially about being an Episcopalian. This is a sermon for the first Sunday in Lent, February 21st, 2021, offered at St. Barnabas in Roanoke, Alabama. The principal text of the sermon is Mark chapter 1 verses 9 through 15 which is Jesus' baptism at the Jordan and his temptation in the wilderness. May I speak in the name of one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. On average, between the ages of two years old and five years old, kids ask 40,000 questions. If you've spent much time around children in this age group, you might think that this is a low estimate, but this is what the scientists have come up with. In this age range, most of these questions seem to begin with the word, why? Why do dogs bark? Why do I have to wear pants to school today? Why is the sky blue? And while all their questions may test adult patience levels, asking and learning actually activates the pleasure zones in kids' brains. It feels good for them to ask a question and then learn something in response. But around the age of 5 or 6, the number of questions that kids ask decreases dramatically. Now, we know what happens around this time. Kids get sent off to school, and there's a lot of reasons why they might stop asking questions. Once we go to school, there's added social pressure. It's maybe not as cool anymore to ask all those why questions. School itself is designed to reward us for having answers, not for asking questions. And the more we are supposed to know, the less we feel we can ask our questions don't go away right it's just that we're no longer as bold in asking them in times before computers you would call up the local librarian which afforded some anonymity and also provided answers today instead of the librarian most of us just go on our computer and type in a question to the Google search bar and get thousands and thousands of answers of varying quality. Our questions that once connected us to others and to the world around us, by the time we we're an adult, seem to be solitary affairs. But we can learn a lot from the questions that kids ask. I can think of quite a few times that a kid has asked me a question that has stopped me in my tracks. The trick to kid questions is they often appear simple, but they're actually really hard to answer. If we think about the question, why is the sky blue, To really answer that question, you have to understand how light works, how prisms work. You have to understand that the world exists with an atmosphere that separates us from space and that something happens when light passes through that atmosphere that results in the sky appearing blue. That simple question really requires some expansive knowledge to be able to answer. What happens when we let go of needing the answers and start listening for the questions instead? I think that this, being like kids, can be a very important way to approach very familiar stories in Scripture. To go to the Bible not expecting some answer to just be brought forth to us, but looking in curiosity for a conversation with God. Our gospel reading this morning is certainly familiar, if not just for the fact that we heard most of it about six weeks ago, if you've been following along. It appears during the season of Epiphany, right? This is Jesus' baptism, which shows up in all four gospels, or at least his meeting of John the Baptist does. The Gospel of John doesn't actually admit that Jesus was baptized. We all know the story, right? John is baptizing in the wilderness and all these folks are coming out to be baptized and John preaches that someone greater than he is coming and then Jesus shows up and gets baptized, a bird comes down, a voice booms out, right? We know this story. I would bet we probably even know the question that we're supposed to ask, which is, if Jesus was without sin, then why did he need to be baptized? And usually when a priest asks this question or is asked that question, there is a long theological answer waiting to be given or a sermon for the second Sunday after the epiphany on deck ready to go. And so this week, when I returned to this passage that not that long ago I had read and preached on, I tried to come to it with a bit of curiosity. Why is this the passage that we are beginning the season of Lent with? What really makes me curious is if Jesus is fully divine as we say that he is, then why is there all this show? Why does the sky get torn open? Why does the dove descend? Mark makes it clear that Jesus is the only one that experiences this moment. It's not for the benefit of the crowd gathered there in that present moment. And so as I started to get curious about this, I started reading more about what Mark is trying to do in this scene. It seems that Jesus might have been waiting for this moment before he began his public ministry. This is the moment that says, now Jesus is the time to begin your work. He had come to the Jordan River because he had been waiting to see a group of people that were so moved by a desire to return to relationship to God that they were repenting and seeking a new way of being in community with each other and with God. He'd been waiting to step into and come alongside that movement, and that this time being right is confirmed by the heavens opening and the Spirit descending. My curiosity led me a little further to read about how the writer of the Gospel of Mark has a very special way of telling his story. The writer tips his hat to the reader, right? the writer is the omniscient narrator and us as the readers get to know things that people in the story don't get to know yet. So we reading this story know that Jesus looks up and the heavens are torn open and a dove descends and that this voice booms out when nobody else does. So that means that as the readers, as we travel this journey with Jesus, we have this special information And we can begin to see where the story is going to go. It also means, as the reader, this information tips us off to see Jesus in a different way. Because this moment of his baptism isn't just about Jesus stepping in and coming alongside a movement of people that are ready to repent. It marks the end of the 400 years of God's silence. There had not been a prophet in Israel since the prophet Malachi. But now, suddenly, we, the reader, know that the Spirit is back and about to start preaching. And so we're left waiting in this story for the good news. But the Spirit does not drive Jesus to preach immediately, but instead drives him further into the wilderness. Why? Why? Why is Jesus sent even further away from the people of God? Jesus' temptation in the wilderness is also another familiar story. It is the way we begin Lent each year. We only get his baptism on this first Sunday of Lent because Mark writes too short. His stories aren't quite long enough for them to stand on their own. Matthew and Luke give the details of the temptation, all the question and answers that Jesus has with Satan. But in Mark, we only get, he was in the wilderness 40 days, tempted by Satan. If you blinked, you could miss it. But what do we learn from this short sentence? Well, we know that the wilderness is associated with the wandering of the people of Israel with their liberation from Egypt, their time of trial and preparation before entering the promised land. We also maybe think of Elijah who traveled 40 days to the holy mountain, or the 40 days that Moses spent with God on the mountain, or the 40 days that the floods rose and the rain came that recreated the world that we hear about God's promise following in our reading from Genesis. Genesis. In the wilderness, 40 days tells us that Jesus is part of the continuing work of God's salvation in the world. But then we learn a little bit more. He was tempted by Satan. Now, we don't get all the dialogue that Matthew and Luke gives us. Mark leaves it all out because all that we need to know, according to the gospel of Mark, was that Jesus was tempted and that Satan was overcome. We don't need to hear the words of the great deceiver. In fact, the only time demons will speak throughout the Gospel of Mark is to exclaim their fear and to proclaim Jesus Christ as the Holy One. The Gospel of Mark is a cosmic battle between good and evil, but right here in chapter 1, we the readers know that the war has already been won. So why do we start each Lent with the temptation of Jesus? One answer is, is that we are reminded that we must face our temptations, whatever they may be, whatever it is that limits or distorts our relationship with God. That's sort of the usual Lent kind of answer that we get. But another answer perhaps is to be reminded that even while there are battles to fight, the war is already over. Satan has been defeated, the strong man has been bound, and Jesus from the very beginning is plundering the house, setting all creation free. In our 40 days of preparation in this season of Lent, we take our place with the prophets and the faithful who seek to strengthen our relationship with God and with each other. For many of us, Lent 2020 never ended. We have been locked into a year of monotony and fear. Forty more days of going without maybe seems like more than you can bear. So I invite you in this season of Lent to give up assuming you know the answer. To turn your answers into questions to come to Scripture with curiosity and start a renewed conversation with God. And then I ask you to take it a step further and start being curious about the created world around you and the people that are in your neighborhood. Our genuine curiosity can save us from the temptation of easy answers, fixed opinions, and silos of information. That means that at some point we'll have to admit we're wrong. We'll have to find a new way to do things, to change the way we see the world and each other as we learn new things. But don't worry, we already know how things turn out. So here's a final bit of trivia for you to end this sermon and to begin the season of Lent. What are the first words that Jesus speaks? In the Gospel of Mark, the time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe in the good news. Amen.